Good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to see you this morning. Uh, it's, a, it's a special morning, especially for Ian, um, because of course today's the first time that Ian has shared bread and wine um, with us, his new brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a very special day today. We're going to open by singing um, two songs. The first is a personal one, that my lips shall praise you. But the second one is a, a communal one, that we will bow down and confess. We meet here in this place and we come before God as individuals, don't we? We don't share each other's faith. So we come, faith, we come as individuals, but we also come as a group joining together to bow down and confess. Let's pray together. Father, you are a great and awesome God. How is it that you can fill this world with your presence? And yet at the same time hear every beat of every heart in this room. Who are we that you should care for us? Your children. Father, these things are, are too great for our minds to contemplate. All we can do is be thankful and rest in your presence. And Father, be with us this morning. Grant us peace, we pray. And especially, Father, be with Ian. This is the first time that he shares this bread and this wine together <coughs> with us, his new family, at the start of his new life. Thank you for every blessing you give us, Father. And be with us and keep us and guide us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, we're going to formally welcome Ian into this, into this family at the Bethel. And so, if you're able, if you'd stand up, that would be lovely. Thank you. Ian, I'm delighted to welcome you into the Old Trafford Christophian Church here at the Bethel and into the worldwide community. We are entering into a relationship with you to work together to build this church to the glory of God, to serve those in the church family and outside the church, and to encourage one another that our love for God and his son Jesus may grow. Ian, would you commit yourself to loving and serving the Lord within this church family and in the world? And as part of the family here, will you love, encourage, strengthen, guide, pray for and care for all the family at the Bethel to the best of your ability and in God's strength? Thanks, Ian. And everybody here, will you welcome Ian into the family of Christ here at the Bethel? Yes. And will you love, encourage, strengthen, guide, pray for and care for Ian as your brother in the family of Christ at the Bethel to serve the Lord together with him to the best of your ability and in God's strength? Yes. Thank you very much. God bless you, Ian. Well done. Take a seat, thank you. Andrew has the announcements. Married on Friday and we pray for a blessing on her and her new husband, Andy. We continue to think about and pray for John Bonani that he will be kept safe and God will give him strength in his work over in um, Congo. And we think of those who continue to struggle with health and other difficulties. It's lovely to see Marion here. We know Marion struggles and it's good to see Marion and Gladys also. And Pauline and Alan McGaw and of course Alan's father who uh, Alan is totally committed to in caring for our theme this month is to pray for the work and witness of those who are retired from paid employment. So we think about those people. And uh, Elaine will prepare the care news next week. And I'm also 
doing the announcing for next week and the week after if you have anything you want to let me have so now we come to the time for our uh, pastoral thoughts and I just wonder if anybody had any particular issues or people they'd like to pray about this morning I understand Jack's at the hospital with his leg as well (laughs) well not without it obviously (laughs) let's just bow our heads in, in prayer together Lord we thank you for this morning for bringing us together for the new addition to our family that we saw on Friday with Ian and we think now of those who need your care in different ways we pray Lord particularly for Joe's colleague Ramalee with the heart bypass operation and we pray for surgeons and doctors and people who care for the ill Lord it's a great commitment and we pray in Ramalee's case that you'll be with the team and help them in their work and we, we thank you for people who are committed to looking after the, those ill and infirm people we pray that we'll be with Jack at the hospital on Monday and keep him in your care and Mark's sister-in-law Rachel that you'll be with her in the birth of a new child and we think too of the people we don't see very often particularly Alan keep him in your care and, and his father and Lord too we pray for the work that we do here in Old Trafford that it might be something in our hearts Lord and not just something that we feel we have to do help us to see you in all that we do and so it might not be duty but it's love that motivates us Father in our caring for one another and in our commitment to you so we bring all these people before you now and the work that we do and we thank you for prayers answered Lord and continue to be with us we pray through Jesus Christ Amen be taking some thoughts from Isaiah chapter 52 today. Um, so to introduce that, um, we're going to sing um, from Praise the Lord number 179, <clears throat> because these um, are words taken from that chapter. Praise the Lord 179, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness, our God reigns. We're going to read um, the first 12 verses of Isaiah chapter 52, and Philip is going to read that for us. Thank you. Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. And now what have and now what do I have here? declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing. 
And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up, your, up their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. I tend to feel a bit sorry for um, Isaiah chapter 52 um, because it's in the shadow of one of the most famous um, chapters in the whole Bible, Isaiah 53. And it can get a bit neglected. It's a bit like the, the other ten Argentina players. <laughs> They're all in the shadow of Lionel Messi. Only people, people only think of one person. But Isaiah chapter 52 is, is a beautiful chapter, so I'd like to think, think on it for a little while. It's a chapter of resurrection and redemption. Just those first couple of verses. Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem, free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Now the good thing about the olden days, ancient times, was that things happened so slowly, didn't they? And because they happened so slowly, um, the drama was increased. You see, this, in today's modern age, this would happen in a text message or an email or a, a flash across the, the news channels. But the drama that builds up here, I think, is lovely. You have to picture Jerusalem. Um, if you imagine a column of a mountain range down the length of Israel, and Jerusalem's just on the, kind of the, the build-up to that mountain range on the, on the hills. And you can imagine this person wandering through the lands, going over the mountains, over the hills, down the ravines, clambering over the rocks just to get to Jerusalem. And over in Jerusalem, there's a city that's a shell of what it used to be. It's destitute, it's, nothing's happening there. There are watchmen on the towers waiting for something to happen, but nothing ever does happen. And then suddenly they see on the horizon, clambering over the rocks, this person who's been travelling for days, weeks, maybe months to get to them and he's bringing with him, him good news. It's a really dramatic picture, I think, of, 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 um, of God's deliverance. 
And Paul picks up this idea in the New Testament. He says we can be the person who brings the good news to, to people. We can be the one clambering over the rocks, travelling distances to bring good news to people who are just waiting to hear it. But the question I'd like to think about this morning is, what is that good news um, for us today? And because this chapter is all about a city, isn't it? A city which we don't live in, we live thousands of miles from, we have very little to do with. What's the actual relevance um, for us today in our lives? Well, what's the good news about? If you look at verse 4, it's about release from oppression. There's a, there's, um, a cross-reference which you might want to turn to. It's in Nahum, chapter 1, which spells it out a bit, bit better. And I knew it was a bad idea to put a quote from Nahum in this talk. Because <laughs> I'm going to spend five minutes trying to find it. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 15. You'll see the parallel. It says, Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Jude, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. So the picture is one of being released from being invaded by wicked people. And so, um, what relevance has that got to do with our lives? You know, in this, this country, we're free from oppression, aren't we? We're, uh, we don't live in a, in, a, in a place where we have other people ruling over us. When I try and think of this situation, I have to go to films to get my kind of picture of, of, uh, of, being, of, of people being oppressed. But in the world um, around us, it's everywhere. This dropped through my letterbox on Saturday. It's Time magazine. The front, front cover, picture of someone behind bars there. It says, over 15 million people worldwide are trapped in a terrible limbo, unsafe at home and unwanted anywhere else. What do we do about the asylum problem? So there are people in this situation in the world, persecuted and, and under oppression. But actually, that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. I want to think about how you and I are oppressed by wickedness. Um, because we are all under um, the, the rule, the persecution of our, our own nature, aren't we? The, the stupid things that we do and the temptations that we face. And that's what I want to think about this morning. Some people, when faced with the battle against temptation, just give up. <laughs> they call it a day from the beginning. I think it was an Oscar Wilde who said, I can resist everything except temptation. <laughs> and so some people um, give up straight away. But we, we don't. We are believers in, in, a, in a better way, a higher way. So we don't give up. We struggle against temptation. We, we face it head on. And although we might not all be peas in the same pod, I think we're definitely vegetables stewed in the same juice. We all struggle against the same issues, even though we are different people in different ways. Some of us are turnips, some of us are potatoes, some carrots. We're all in the same battle um, within, within ourselves, facing up to temptation. So I looked within myself and I, I tried to observe myself under temptation and think about what temptation does to me. And I'm hoping this won't come as a shock to you. I'm hoping that you're, you're on the same boat. First of all, I, I found that temptation is blinding. It's almost all-consuming, isn't it? It, it? it takes up all your attention, temptation. It diverts you from things you'd, you, in, in, a, in the cold light of day you'd rather be doing. Temptation takes over. And it can take over very quickly. I've used this analogy before, but I think it's a good one. In Australia, before Australia was colonised, there were no rabbits. There was not a single rabbit in all of Australia. And then Australia was colonised um, by, by those guys. 
And um, some person, someone who went over to Australia was a little bit bored of his life in Australia. He decided for a little bit of sport, a little bit of fun, he'd, he'd bring over ten wild rabbits, just ten wild rabbits, and introduce them to, to his land so he could have some sport shooting them. Within a few years, those ten rabbits had bred, <laughs> and they had devastated thousands and thousands of acres of land, agricultural land, across Australia. The devastation was so great that they had to build a fence from one end of Australia right through the middle to stop the rabbits going any further. And this was all because of one, one person's idea of just a, a little bit of fun. <laughs> he devastated um, the land around, around Australia. And the same thing happened to us with temptation cancer. You think, oh, I'll just, I'll just, it's not going to do any harm, I'll just do a little bit. And before long, your life can be taken over. The second thing that I've noticed about temptation is that it upheaves all my priorities. And it's quite easy to sit here in church and decide what's right and wrong. You know, it's, it's quite easy in, in this situation to do that. But temptation, temptation is a powerful force and it can upheave all the things that in your right mind you know are right and true. It can change your perspective on, on everything um, so that you can't see straight in many ways. And the really dangerous thing about temptation is it tries to justify itself. So it'll try to say to you, you know, you don't really believe all that stuff to you about God and Jesus. You don't really believe that. And as you, as, as you think about things, sometimes you can question your faith because your mind wants to do what it wants to do. Your human nature takes over and tries to drive, drive itself upon you. It can, can even question, make you question your own faith. The third thing I've noticed about temptation in my life is that it can, if I let it get hold of me, it can turn my whole life into a series of lies so that I'm not who, I, I don't know who I am. I was listening to a Simon Garfunkel song, which I thought brought us out really well. It's uh, Wednesday morning, 3am. Anyone know that song? Look at Martin. <laughs> well, the situation... <laughs> it's not John Martin, sorry. <laughs> um, it's, the situation is, there's a person who, who's the, the, the character of this song, is, it's 3am in the morning, and he's sitting there in the room, and he's thinking about his loved ones, and he knows that when the morning breaks, he's going to have to go on the run um, away, from, away from the law. He says, oh, what have I done? Why have I done it? I've committed a crime, broken the law. For $25 and pieces of silver, I held up and robbed a hard liquor store. My life seems unreal. My crime an illusion. A scene badly written in which I must play. Now, I've never robbed a hard liquor store. I don't identify with that particular fact. But that idea of, you know, sometimes you think to yourself, why did I do that? What, what was I playing at? And there's this kind of, this almost, there's two selves, isn't there, um, fighting against each other. The mind which sat here in church thinking, yes, I know what's right and wrong. And then the, the, the mind which takes over and, and I like the line which says, my crime is an illusion. I, I can't believe it happened. I can't believe I did it. But that's what temptation does to us. And the fourth thing that I've noticed about temptation is that it nearly always ends in bad outcomes. Very rarely does temptation end with, with a lucky break, if you might think about it. Um, there's two men, and they worked in the same office, a young man and an old man. And the old man kept on his desk a big jar of peanuts. And every day the young man looked at those peanuts and he thought, hmm, I want one of those peanuts. And one day the old man went out of the office for a couple of hours so the young man looked at the jar of peanuts and he couldn't hold himself back. He opened the jar and he let himself loose on the jar of peanuts. An hour or so later, the old man came back and wrapped with guilt, the young man says, um, 
oh, I'm really sorry, I couldn't resist. I, I went to your jar of peanuts, I couldn't resist, and I, and I ate some. And the old man smiled, a big gummy smile, <laughs> and he laughed, and he said, you know, I don't eat peanuts. Ever since I lost all my teeth, I can't eat peanuts. Now all I do is suck the chocolate off the M&Ms and put the peanuts in the... <laughs> Temptation never ends in a good ending. But what I see in this chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, is the promise of release from all of that. A promise, a promise to rise up and be free. Just look at verse 2. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Just that first phrase, shake off your dust. You know, in the Bible, the idea of, of, of dust has a lot of connotations. It's very symbolic. You think of um, Adam being formed from the dust. And so the, the idea of dust is symbolic with all of our humanity, everything that goes with it, our illnesses, our diseases, our, our weakness in body, and our weaknesses in our minds, the whole, the whole thing. If you just look at Psalm 103, it really brings this out, the Psalm of David. Psalm 103, it says in, in verse 8, this, the context is God's mercy. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And then verse 14, it says, For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And so it's not literally that we're made out of a hoover bag, but the whole idea that we are kind of of the world, of the earth, and we're of the same kind of stuff as, as the rest of, of creation, it's, it's built into a picture of our weakness, our humanity, and everything that goes, goes in with that. And Psalm 103 is all about the, the mercy and compassion of God. But I think this chapter in Isaiah takes it further because it's not just about God being merciful to us in our weakness, but also tells us that we're going to be changed, that someday we can shake off the dust and we can be transformed. And I think there's, I think there's probably three um, key factors in dealing with temptation. And this is one of them, to remember the positive message of God, that we will be changed, that there will be re- release from this oppression that we all face. The other two factors, I think, are prayer I think if you can pray through temptation, if I can pray through temptation, we'll be a lot better off for it. We'll, we'll find comfort, we'll find release, and we'll find we're less tempted, I think, because it's very hard to be tempted when you're praying. <laughs> um, and the other is peer support of, of people who think the same way, the peer support of a community of believers that we are a part of, that we can talk about issues with. I know a while ago, um, Tony had an excitation about this kind of topic, and how it's very difficult for us to, to get over the, the kind of almost the, the sheepishness and the, the shyness about uh, confessing things to each other. But we are all vegetables stewed in the same juice. So there's nothing to be, nothing to be worried about in talking to each other about these, these problems. We can gain a lot of support from our peers. But like I say, Isaiah 52, it's all about the release um, from, tation, from temptation, the release from oppression which God offers. Rise up. Be free and put on garments of splendour. And there's a promise of the one thing which we all need in temptation. And I only thought of this on Friday night at Ian's baptism. And we were singing a song. I won't tell you just yet what the song was because you'll get there first. And a picture came to me. And it was a picture of, um, you know, on the night before Jesus died, how he was taken into the, the areas of the chief priests. 
And across the courtyard where there's a burning fire, Peter um, was denying that he knew Jesus. You know, everyone remembers that, that, that uh, story. And there's a line in Luke um, which says that um, as soon as, as, soon as um, I think Peter had done his final denial, Jesus looked straight at him. And it doesn't say, it doesn't describe that look in any way at all. <laughs> it, we're just left to think of all we know about the Lord Jesus Christ. What would that look have been? Would it have been a stern look? I told you so. I, I don't think so. I can't, I can't see that in the Lord Jesus Christ. The record says that as soon as, as soon as Jesus looked at him, Peter remembered everything that Jesus had said, how he promised, how he predicted that he would deny him, and um, Peter went and cried and wept bitterly. I don't think that's because of anything that Jesus, kind of a stern look that Jesus gave. I think it was because he knew he'd let himself down. But remember the first thing that Jesus says after, after the resurrection, when he meets this, all the disciples together for the first time, the first thing he says is, peace to you. And when we're facing temptation on a day-in, day-out basis, the most important thing in our lives is peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the song which made me think of that picture was when we were seeing the priestly, priestly blessing. You know, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you. And the last line of that song says, the, may he turn his face to you and give you peace. And I think that was the look that Jesus gave Peter across the courtyard. The moment he knew that Peter had let himself down for the final time, I believe that Jesus looked across the courtyard and that look was one of peace. It's all right, Peter. I knew you were going to do it. You've done it. Peace. And, and Peter couldn't contain himself because he knew he'd let himself down. But he went on from that, didn't he? He didn't end up like Judas, Judas hanging himself in, in, in the back streets. He went up from that. He rose up from that because he knew the peace which Jesus gave him. What good news this is. Because whether we accept it or not, whether we admit it or not, everyone in the world faces tempta temptation. Some people just give in straight away without a fight. Some of us will, will, and all of us here, put up a fight and, and do our best. But the good news is there is release from that oppression. There is peace um, from God and Lord Jesus Christ. And the really good thing about Isaiah, I think, is, that, is the twist all good stories have a twist, don't they? And the twist comes, I think, in the, the overlap between Isaiah chapter 52 and Isaiah chapter 53. If we just read verses 8 to 10 again, and try and put yourself in the, in the position of the people who first heard these words. Isaiah 52 verse 8. Listen, you, your watchmen, lift up your, their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now when I read that and I put myself in the people who first heard those words, I am pretty sure that when they read, heard those words, they would have thought, the Lord bearing his, his outstretched arm, that would mean a kind of mighty military victory. You can think of it, the outstretched arm as being God kind of sweeping his arm across the, the military uh, map and sweeping all the other nations off it. But that's the twist in Isaiah, isn't it? That's a real kind of thing you maybe didn't expect, the way God turns it around. Look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? A mighty military general, 
No, a lamb led to the slaughter. That's the twist. The deliverance is not a military victory. It's the it's victory of the man spoken of in Isaiah chapter 53, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another link. If you look at um, the introduction to chapter 52, it says, Awake, awake, O Zion. Now the word Zion means very dry, parched um, hillside. A parched hillside. Verse, uh, chapter 53, verse 2 says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. The word dry there is from the same meaning as Zion. So it's like a root out of Zion. From these ruins, the, the destitution and dereliction of Jerusalem, a tender root grows that is the Lord Jesus Christ. A tender shoot who was tempted in all points like we are, who suffered when he was tempted like we do, and so he can help us. I was talking to some people about, about praying, and the, the topic was about prayers to God and prayers to Jesus. And someone said, I've no kind of biblical reason to say this, but sometimes I just find it easier to talk to Jesus about temptation, you know, the, the, the temptations that I, that I bear, because, because of, I know he's been there and he's done it. I know he's, he's got through it. I find it easier to talk about those things to Jesus than I do to God. And I'm not suggesting that's, that's a, a biblical position, but I think that's why God gave us Jesus, so that we could see a man who did struggle, who did have to put up a fight and overcame and won. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. We're going to read um, from Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 and through Isaiah chapter 53 and Liz is going to read that first thing. Starting at Isaiah 52 verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his whole soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils from the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The Lord did everything he could to bring us peace from temptation. We're going to think about that as we share bread and wine in a moment. But first let's sing together those words which uh, Liz read. He was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And to bring us peace, he was punished. And by his stripes we are healed. Ewald is going to come give thanks for the bread. Almighty Father in heaven, all honor and glory, praise and thanks are true to you for who you are, a God of love. Thank you for being in our hearts. Thank you for giving us your peace. Thank you for having brought us here to this table, especially today when we celebrate fellowship with our new brother, Ian. Thank you for your son, Jesus who gave everything to save us. Whatever he asked of us, he himself cultivated. Thank you for your son Jesus, not only what he taught us, but the example he is. He gives us life everlasting in your kingdom. We thank you now for this bread, which reminds us of his precious body, which he willingly sacrificed. Please increase our understanding of the meaning of your words. And forgive us, please, and help each one of us, please, to eat this bread in a worthy manner. Amen. Jesus gave his, his life to bring us peace. Thanks to the wine. Loving Shepherd, we, as sheep as your flock, go astray far too often to places where we know we shouldn't go, blinded by temptation. Sometimes, Father, we 
we we realise we've gone wrong and, and we come round and, and, and we wonder what on earth we're doing we're so blinded to follow our own will and yet as we look to the Lord on the cross we see not the eyes of a man who sought to condemn but a man who said Father forgive them they don't, they don't know what they're doing and so we take comfort from the peace that is there because of the love of our Lord that our Lord didn't need the nails he didn't need to be bound he hung there because he knew what your will was he sought and he fought not to give in to the temptation which was before him to help us Lord as, as we too try during this week to, to emulate with a greater desire the, to, to follow your will but now Father we thank you for forgiveness we thank you for peace and we pray that you will forgive us not for our own sakes but because of the Lord Jesus Christ Father thank you for this wine this time of remembrance Amen Through, um, through Isaiah God gives us <coughs> that amazing picture of the restoration of the fortunes of Jerusalem um, but I don't think it's because of that God liked the architecture of Jerusalem that he was particularly interested in being restored it wasn't the physical place that really God was interested in was it it was the people who are so closely tied up to the fortunes of that city and we are bound with that aren't we the fortunes of Jerusalem the new Jerusalem as, as the New Testament talks about a new, a new Jerusalem where everything will be changed where the battle with temptation will be over when we have, we'll have that ultimate peace so we can close by singing most glorious things are spoken Jerusalem of thee to all God's saints the token of love and liberty who shall thy hill ascending from pain and sorrow free from sin and death contending the living glory be after which Andy will close in prayer Almighty God, Lord, you keep your promises. You have spoken glorious things about Jerusalem and we believe that those things will come about. But Lord, you too have spoken glorious things of us. You call us your children. You call us heirs with Christ. You tell us that we will be like Jesus. You tell us that though we won't all sleep, we will all be changed. Lord, we look forward to that day. The day when the struggles and the temptations and the suffering of this life will be gone. And when we can Rejoice together in a new life with you. Lord, thank you that, that you've started that work already. That you work in us now to change us. 
But Lord, we earnestly pray for the day when you will make that change complete. And when we will see your glory complete in us and complete in this earth. We pray for that day in Jesus' name. Amen.